Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. As I said, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 28 through verse 30, and then we'll take a moment and pray. Matthew eleven twenty-eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Aren't you glad that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light? Like one preacher said, if it's not easy and if it's not light, it's not Jesus. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this, another opportunity that we've been given to receive from your word. Father, we don't take this opportunity lightly. No, on the contrary, we press in with our hearts We come to the table, as it were, hungry this morning, ready to receive everything that you have for us. And we'll be diligent to give you the praise and the glory. Father, help us today to become doers of what we hear and not hearers only. Lord, that this word would not be just something that encourages us, but that it would be something that calls our life to action, that calls our life to obedience in what you're saying to us this morning. So we thank you for these things, and we give you the praise in the mighty name of Jesus, and let everyone say amen Amen. and amen. As I said, I want to remind us this morning of of what I think is one of the greatest promises ever made to Christians, ever made to us in the Bible, and it's made by Jesus himself, and that is the promise of rest. How many of you could use more rest in your life? Amen. Amen. All of us. All of us could use more rest. Amen. You know, in, um, in our message last week, in, in that sermon, I tried to really, like, challenge us to make some changes in our lives in order to help us press back against the spirit of the age. And I, and I encouraged you to, to, to take seriously what we were saying and to make some changes in your life. It was, I tried to be encouraging, but I tried to be challenging as well. Um, because sometimes we need to be challenged. Amen? Amen. How many of you with kids know that sometimes your kids need to be challenged? Amen. It's just true. It's just true. And um, as a matter of fact, I had one, I had one lady come up to me uh, later that afternoon and say, Pastor Josh, your message was so good, and I'm not doing this to talk about me, but she said the message was so good, it was so convicting. She said, I canceled my Netflix account during service. I said, that's awesome. Praise God. That's how you know the word's working, amen? <laughs> but you know, so we kind of hit it hard last week, but there's this thought that's, that stayed with me all week. It was a statement that I made, and, um, and I, 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 it just hasn't let me go all week. Have you ever had a, a phrase or an idea or a statement that just grips you and doesn't let you go? This statement I made last week was this. If you don't take a Sabbath, one will be taken for you. You remember that? In other words, we could, another way we could say it is, if we don't make rest intentional now, then rest will be forced upon us later. And so that thought has just really stayed with me this week. And as I thought about it, I was drawn back to Matthew 11. Because uh, I've heard this scripture my whole life. As a matter of fact, there's a band, a, gr- a musical group, an acapella group that I grew up listening to named Take Six. If you ever heard of Take Six, uh, they're amazing. Six guys that sing uh, acapella and they're incredible. And they, they, they set the words of, this, of these verses to music. And the song is called Come Unto Me. And, it's, and I've been singing it all week. I've been whistling it. The, the poor people in my office have had to hear me whistle, Come Unto Me, all week. Because uh, it just won't leave me alone. So I want to read it to you one more time and then we'll get into what God wants to say here. 
Jesus, again, speaking, because you can, you can see that the words are in red, right? He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I like the way the King James reads, I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rests unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. Everybody say easy. easy. My burden is light. Everybody say light. light. Well, you know, brother, nobody ever said that this Christian life would be easy. Correction. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, I understand that the world is cha- as a challenging place to be. How many of you have had challenges? How many of you have had challenges since service started this morning? Amen. The world is, we're, we're not ever promised that we will be void of challenge, but what we are promised is that a life with Christ is a life that's filled with his rest. And that when his rest superimposes over your life, your world becomes easy. You can walk through any challenge easily. Amen. It's not that the world is void of challenge. It's just that when we go through it, we go through it differently than other people go through it because we have a Jesus. Amen. How many of you got a Jesus in your corner this morning? That means that life can and should look different. I want to focus on this idea that Jesus gives us today of rest. The Bible actually says a lot about rest. The word rest appears over 300 times in Scripture. Over 300, I believe it's 308 is what I counted last night. Well, that's what my concordance told me. I didn't go and count them all, but that's what my Bible software told me. 308 times. And to be fair, for all the fact checkers out there, so I don't get an email, to be fair, probably about 30% of the time that the Bible says the word rest, it's it's using the word rest like I took some of the bananas and I gave the rest of them to them. You see what I'm saying? It's using the word rest in that kind of context about 30% of the time. So we could take 100 of those usages away. That still leaves 200 times that the Bible talks about rest. The word obedient. How many, think, how many, of you, how many times do you think that appears in Scripture, the word obedient? 16 How many times do you think the word diligent appears in Scripture? Fifteen. Probably all in the book of Proverbs, by the way. Even the word faithful only appears in the Bible 82 times. Does God want us to be obedient, diligent, and faithful people? Absolutely. But does he want us more to enter into his rest? You better believe it. So you can be diligent and resting at the same time. More on that later. Listen to what the Bible says about rest. Let me give you four out of 200 examples. Exodus 34, 21 says, Six days shall you work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. So you got to rest even when there's stuff to be done. You still need to learn to take rest. Leviticus 25.4 says, but in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. Even the land gets to rest. Every seven years, man, the garden gets to take a summer off. Isn't that amazing? Joshua 23.1, best book of the Bible, says, now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old and advanced in age. Even in his old age, after he had fought, God gave him rest from his enemies. How many of you could use rest from your enemies? Psalm 16, 9 says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. That's Psalm 16, 9. You know, two verses later, Verse 11 is where David said, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You think maybe, just maybe, that rest in hope, joy, pleasures forevermore, and God's presence are connected? Maybe, just maybe. 
And these are just a couple of examples. These are just four out of 200 plus examples of when the Bible tells us that we ought to rest. You know, God himself rested on the Sabbath day. He created the Sabbath day. And I said this last week, we know God doesn't get tired. He, when, he, when he made the world and he got to day seven, he didn't stop and rest because he needed a break. Why, why would he do that? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why would God take a Sabbath? Why would he designate that seventh day as he'd worked for six days creating the world? Why would he stop on the seventh day and say, you know what, I'm going to rest? It's not because he needed the rest. It's not because he needed, because he was weary and needed to catch his breath. Because the Bible says he's the mighty God, right? The Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't ever get weary. The young men shall faint, Isaiah 40 says. The youth shall faint. Even they'll faint, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. God's got so much strength, he gives you some of his extra. Amen? He doesn't get tired. So why would he institute a Sabbath? I believe it's because he is creating and demonstrating a pattern for his creation to follow. You know, as parents, we've, we learn, and we're continuing to learn as parents, that our kids learn the best when they watch us and they do what we do. Whether or not we want them to or not, they do what we do. Your kids are a great mirror and a great reflection of your life as a parent. It's just a fact. But God, understanding this principle, created and set a precedent in it, that he wanted his creation to mirror. He wanted us very much to learn how to rest. Now, just so that you don't think I'm a pastor who doesn't do his homework, I did a little bit of medical research as well this week on the subject of, of rest. Listen to some of the health benefits that are associated with resting. Don't worry, we're going to get to Matthew 11. But we're just setting the stage here. Some of the health benefits associated with resting, reduced stress and anxiety, improved mood. All the married couples are like, yes, amen, glory. I felt that, hallelujah. Decreased blood pressure. Isn't that amazing? Rest will keep your blood pressure down. Chronic pain relief, improved immune health. Everybody needs that right now. Stronger cardiovascular system can come from you resting. You know, when you're, when you're like, we, like we talked about last week, when we're just living out on the edge all the time, we're living with no margin and we're just out there just totally frazzled, it's not good for our cardiovascular system. It's not good for our blood pressure. It's not good for your organs to always just be on the edge and you don't have time to, you don't have time to relax. You just get home and you go right to sleep because it's 1130 and these kids have been screaming for the last hour and a half. Hey, I've been there. I'm learning. So there are a million and one reasons why we don't rest in our world. And quite frankly, I'm not here to talk about that today. I went pretty hard after that last week. Today, I want to encourage our hearts, and I want to remind us that no matter what we are dealing with in the circumstances of life, and regardless of the choices that, we have, that have brought us to this moment, there is rest available for our souls today. Regardless of the mistakes that you made, Regardless of the issues that have brought you to this moment in life, I don't care what happened yesterday, there is rest for you today. Because the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning, and if he's willing to forgive you freshly every single day, he's willing to give you rest and strength and the peace that you need right now, regardless of where you come from. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that there remains a rest for the people of God. And we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but you ought to go read the, the, you know, Hebrews chapter 3 and read about Moses and read about the Israelites as they came into or as they approached the promised land. The Bible talks about them, and, and in the process of talking about that, it tells us that there remains a rest for the people of God. That means that when nothing else appears to remain, 
Rest still remains. Amen, that's good news. When it seems like there's nothing else to clutch onto, there's still some rest. When it seems like I have done everything that I can and I can't really figure out how to get beyond where I'm at and I've really worked myself into a corner here and I can't figure out what I'm going to do, there still remains rest. Amen? Sometimes the victory that you need, oh, this is good, sometimes the victory that you need is not in more fighting, but it's in more resting. (laughs) Amen? Let me say it again because I don't think you got it that first time. Sometimes the victory that you need is not found in more fighting, it's found in some rest. Amen? Psalm 23 says that he leads me beside still waters. And what does he do to my soul? He restores my soul. What is that? That's rest. That's rest. That's rest that goes beyond you getting a good night's sleep. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. A good night's sleep doesn't hurt. I'm a, I'm a Benjamin Franklin toting. You know, early to bed, early to rise makes man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Did y'all hear that growing up? That, I live by that. I love to go to bed at 9 o'clock and wake up at 5 in the morning. It's just something I love to do. I believe in a good night's sleep. I really do. But there is a peace and there is a rest that actually goes beyond just the natural need for rest. And there is a spiritual, soulish level rest that Jesus wants to impart to you. So the question is, what, it, what kind of rest goes beyond getting a good night's sleep? How, what is this rest all about and how do I qualify for it? Verse 28 of Matthew 11 that we read. Come unto me. Stop right there. <laughs> oh, this is the first key. This is the first point. Oh, that we would spend the rest of our lives learning to live these first three words. Come unto me. Listen, if you want rest for your souls, you're not going to get it coming unto something else. Amen. But here's the subtle thing, okay? You ready for this? We, we, we live in an advertising culture. It's, it's, it's suggested, I don't even know what the most recent statistics are, but I've heard this statistic for a number of years now. It's suggested that the average human being, especially in a metropolitan area, sees over 5,000 advertisements per day. There are all kinds of things in this world saying, come unto me. Come to me. Well, you need a little pick-me-up? Come to Starbucks. Come to, come to, come to Red Bull. It gives you wings. Right? Right? You need to feel good about yourself? Come to Taco Bell. I guess. I don't know. That's where I go to feel good about myself. (laughs) No, there's all kinds of things in this world. You know it as well as I do because you've seen 5,000 advertisements just yesterday. We're, We're inundated with the world giving us these promises of satisfaction. They're very empty promises, but they say to us all the time, come to me, come to me, come to me. I'll give you what you want. I'll make you popular. I'll make you famous. I'll make you look better. I'll make your teeth brighter. I'll make you skinnier. I'll give you more money. I'll give you more status. Come to me. And that kind of touches on what we talked about last week with the spirit of the age. The the spirit of the age is going to give you a promise and say, come to me to get sharp. Remember that? That's last week's message. I can't preach that again. But oh, that we would learn this lesson. Oh, that we would live these three words, come unto me, Jesus said. That we would make it our life's mission to simply live out that first part. Even if you didn't have the rest of the verse, your life would improve dramatically. My life would improve dramatically if I made that my focus. Isn't that true? Dramatically. Come unto me, who? All ye who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus gives us two kinds of people that qualify for his rest. And we're going to see real quickly that these two kinds of people are everybody. You're not exempt from this verse. I'm not exempt from this verse. Come unto me, 
all ye who labor and are heavy laden. First of all, notice the word all. That's how you know you're included in this scripture. If you ever wonder whether a scripture was written to you, it is. <laughs> Amen. We, we have lots of these kinds of conversations where people, well, you know, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, you really can't believe that scripture because it was written to the uh, Hebrew people during Babylonian captivity. It doesn't really apply to you. To that, I always say the same thing. Every word in the Bible was written to every human being that's ever lived. These words are for you. These words are for me. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's look at these two phrases here, labor and heavy laden. These are the two people, the two kinds of people that Jesus mentioned that he qualified. The ones who labor and the ones who are heavy laden. This word labor in the Greek word, I'm going to give you several definitions. This word labor is from the Greek word kopos. Kopos. Which means trouble, difficulty, or toil. It means to become weary, to become exhausted. See, we read the word labor, and we, it, it would be easy to gloss over that, right? Like, labor is like my job, right? That's work. Eh, this word's actually a little more specific than that. It's not really just describing a day's work. It's describing this fatigue, this exhaustion, this place where you've emptied yourself to a certain degree. The root word kopos means trouble, difficulty, toil. It means the process of becoming weary or becoming exhausted. Let me read you this portion of this passage from the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology. It's one of my favorite books. Believe it or not, it's about this thick. It's like a thousand pages, and I love getting material from it when I study. This is taken from that book, and it says, Kopos means a striking or a beating. Selah. Let's just think about that for a second. Let's just let that sit for one moment. Anybody ever took a good whooping in their life? <laughs> yeah. I remember one time I broke a window in the back of my house when I was a kid. I was probably Claire's age. I had gotten a brand new Jim Kelly quarterback outfit with, complete with helmet and shoulder pads and jersey and I had this life-sized, like it was as big as me at the time, teddy bear that my dad had won for me at the fair. And so I was in the back porch where we was surrounded by windows. And, and I, uh, I was told not to play with the football in that room because of the windows. So like a good kid, I played in that room with the windows. And I busted a window. And my dad took it easy on me. He said, told you not to do that. He said, don't do it again. I said, okay. And then he left, and I broke the window next to it. <laughs> About five minutes later, same football. It was a beautiful pass. <laughs> it was my receiver. He didn't catch it. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and my dad came out, and I could tell, you know, he, he was hot. And he sent me up to my room. And it was the one time in my life that I actually got a spanking with his belt. And it hurt. I still remember it to this day. Did you ever take a beating? This word kopos means to be struck or a beating. It came to denote, listen to this, it came to denote the physical consequences of a stroke, of weariness, or depression. These are not my words. This is from the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology. Thus, everything that leads to toil, pain, or hardship could be called kopos. When Jesus says, come unto me, everybody who is weary or who labors, what is he saying? He's saying, come unto me, all of you who are kopos. Come unto me, everybody who's taken a beating. Come unto me, everybody who is absolutely, completely exhausted, dealing with the after effects of a stroke or depression or the consequences of weariness. 
The prophet Isaiah echoes this very word in Isaiah 49.4 when he says this, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Wow. In other words, when Jesus is talking to those who labor, he's talking to those who are exhausted because they have labored in something that turned out to be a dead end. Man. This word kopos describes exhaustion and it describes the discouragement and hopelessness that comes from it. Have you ever poured your life into something only to find out that the time seemed wasted and now you're emptied by it? and you're totally discouraged by it? I planted all the seed that I have, and it turns out the ground is bad. There's a hopelessness that comes with that. Maybe, you, maybe you've been sowing into a relationship, and the relationship seems like it's just gone nowhere. There's discouragement that comes with it. I know there's a lot of pastors that feel this way. Say, I've been pouring into these people. All I, all I try to do is love on them, pour myself out for them, and they don't reciprocate. I understand. I've been there. But see, in those moments, you can't wallow in the misery. You got to learn that, that, it, that that's not the time to get down and out. That's the time to say, you know what? Jesus has promised me some rest. I'm experiencing all kinds of discouragement in my heart. I have been laboring in this field for the last five years, and it is going absolutely nowhere. I am totally, completely exhausted from everything that I have put in to this relationship or this job or this ministry opportunity or this situation. I'm pouring my best into it, and it just ain't going nowhere, and now I got no strength left. That is not the time to stay down. That's the time to say, Jesus, you promised that when I was like this, you had rest for me. Let's move on to the word heavy laden. Y'all doing okay so far? This, this is encouraging, right? I'm not trying to beat you with this word. This is, I want this to lift you up. He, he, he says, come unto me, those who labor and are heavy laden. The word heavy laden is the Greek word fortizo which means a place, or excuse me, to place a burden upon or to load down. It's the literal word that describes a ship's cargo. Did you ever see one of those big oil tankers coming in from China and it's just stacked real high with shipping containers and it weighs like six billion tons? And it's just one of these huge ocean vessels. I was watching a video not too long ago that had one of them was empty and one of them was completely full. One of them was empty and was getting ready to go back to China. And the one sitting next to it had just come in from China. And the two boats, like one's floating on top of the water and the other one's like way down in it. This word heavy laden means to be loaded like a cargo ship. You want to know what I think is a perfect 21st century version of this word, heavy laden, baggage. Baggage. You ever, you, ever, you ever met a person with baggage? Come on, be honest. We're in church. You have to be honest. You ever tried to get into a relationship with somebody who came with some baggage? Maybe a more important question, how many of you thought you'd missed out on a chance at life because you had some baggage? Maybe you were the baggage-carrying person in the relationship. How many times did the devil lie to you and tell you that you're, you're damaged goods, you come with too much baggage, you missed your chance on a good life? Come on, am I talking to anybody in here this morning? Maybe it's just the people online. Have you, have, you, have you said, I've got too much baggage in my life? The devil's lied to me and convinced me that my best days are behind me because I'm damaged goods now. I've got too much baggage. 
I've got a, I've got a past. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you know you got a past? But how many of you know that your future is not dependent on your past? Amen? Come on. Your future is not dependent on your past. In fact, nothing from your future has to draw from your past in any way when Jesus gets involved. Isn't that right? He said, come unto me, those who labor and are heavy laden, and I'm going to be the one to give you rest. You see, it's the devil who wants to remind you of your past. It's the devil who wants to load you down with all kinds of baggage. It's him. He's the one that wants to tell you that you don't have a future. By the way, side note, just quick. This one's free. Side note, it's the devil who doesn't have a future. And so he will work overtime to convince you that you don't have one either. But he's a liar. Amen? Amen? You've got a future. You've got a hope. You've got a reason to rejoice. Because greater is he that lives in you than he that's in the world. God lives on the inside of you. There's a hope for your future. It's the devil who doesn't have a future. Don't get worried about the baggage. Jesus is here to alleviate that. I love this verse so much because it includes all of us. We could interpret this scripture this way. Come unto me, everyone who is completely worn out and discouraged. Those who have emptied themselves to the point of exhaustion only to find out that it was a dead end. Those who are piled high with layer after layer of the baggage of opinions and expectations and dead works and fear and strife and anxiety, leave all of that where it is and come to me, for I alone will give you rest and refreshing and recovery. The word rest here means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and recollect his strength. Isn't that amazing? The word rest here means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. We went this past Friday to ASU, uh, to campus, to the Schaefer Center to watch the Banff Film Festival. I don't know if you've ever been to the Banff Film Festival before on campus, but it happens once a year, and it's, if you like outdoor things, it's actually really cool. You get to go and watch all these independent movies that are made about outdoor adventures like kayaking or mountain climbing, or it's just really cool if you like that sort of thing. And we try to go most every year if we can. And this year we went and they showed this documentary. It was about 30 minutes long. They showed this documentary about this team that climbed Mount Everest. And they were going for a real specific reason. They actually didn't even care whether they made it to the summit. They wanted to find uh, one of the explorers that went with Sir Edmund Hillary. Sir Edmund Hillary was the first man to ever summit Mount Everest in history. He ended up several years later dying on Mount Everest, incidentally enough. But there was one of his, uh, one of his comrades that went with him. This guy's last name was Irving, and he died. And it's rumored that he had the camera in his pocket or in his bag, which contained the first picture of Edmund Hillary and the group at the top of uh, of Mount Everest, and nobody's ever been able to find this guy's body. And so the purpose of their trip was to go up and find this guy. They never did, but they showed some really intense footage. I don't know if you ever have watched anything about Everest, but Everest is nasty, both because the wind and the storms and the altitude and all of the natural things, but it's also littered with junk. People have been summiting Mount Everest ever since Edmund Hillary did it years ago, People have been trying to summit and summiting 
all the time throughout the years, it's actually become a pretty commercialized business. And so now you go, you know, at the, like the last base camp and there's like old tents strewn everywhere. There's old oxygen bottles and garbage and remnants of food. There's trash everywhere. And here's the wildest part. There's dead bodies up there. They say it's the world's highest graveyard from all the people who attempt and die along the way. And in the documentary, there was this guy who was getting close to the top and he was losing his strength and and you could only walk about five or six or eight paces and you have to stop and rest. (laughs) Brandon and I were talking about it later because he and Leslie were with us and we said, man, it's, it's super gross because they, they, got up to, they got up to where these dead bodies were and they're taking a rest, leaning over on the corpse. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> kind of wild. But see, when you get forward in the purposes of God, every now and again, you need to rest. You, can, you, you, you get going and, and you, you get making progress in your life and then at some point there comes a moment where you got to stop and rest and lean on something. And Jesus, he's saying to us that he wants to be the one that we lean on. Not like the dead body on Mount Everest, not this frozen corpse. He's living and he's engaging and he's got love and he's got peace and he's got joy that he wants to transmit to us and unload on us. And you could say download. God wants to download his joy into your life. He wants to download his peace into your life. And, and sometimes we get going and we forget to rest and we forget to stop. And he's like, you know what? Come to me. Don't go to the world. Don't go somewhere else to try to find your rest. You're weary. You're loaded down with lots of cares. Let go of that. Drop that. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Three points I want to make about rest as we get closer to closing here. Three points about rest. Number one, rest is an inside job, not just an outside job. Rest is an inside job, not just an outside one. Real rest will always start in your heart first and then will work its way out. There's nothing wrong with outside rest. Your body needs rest. You need a good night's sleep tonight. Can I give you some advice? Go to bed. (laughs) Amen. I give you the same advice I give my 11-year-old. Go to bed. Right? Lights out. So I say to Claire, I'll go into her room, honey, lights out, go to bed, get some rest, but also rest in the presence of God. That's more important. It's infinitely more important. And here's the thing, the more rest you take on in your inward man, the more you'll act, the easier it will be to actually stop and rest on the outside. This is a precedent throughout Scripture, and I don't have time to preach on it because we're getting towards the end of the sermon here. But, but whatever happens on the outside is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. I remember listening to a, a message by a, a respected preacher, a preacher that I respect to this day, and he was in our church when, when Sean and I were younger, when we were in youth group and in high school. And he said to us, he said, whatever's going on on your outside is going to show, or whatever's going on on your outside is an indication of what's going on on your inside. He said, if your car is dirty, your heart's a mess. If your bedroom is filthy, your heart's a mess. See, we think that we got, you know, chaos and order in the natural, uh, or chaos and a lack of order in the natural, but somehow in our insides, we're doing great. That's not true. The spiritual is the precedent for the natural. Whatever's happening on the inside is going to manifest on the outside. So peace is always an inside job. Let, it, let peace and rest happen in here, and it'll make it easier for it to happen out here. Meditate on God's word. That'll lead you into his rest. Number two, rest is a byproduct of the peace of God. Rest is a byproduct of the peace of God. Rest follows peace. Rest follows peace. You'll never be able to rest until your heart is at peace with God. Amen? Number three, rest is one of the highest ways 
that you can express your faith. Rest is one of the highest ways you can express your faith. Just look at Jesus' life. It takes faith to sleep in a storm when you're in the boat. Amen? Jesus is asleep in the boat. And it wasn't a 40-foot Chris Craft cabin cruiser either. It was about a 14-foot fishing boat completely open. He's getting hit by the same raindrops that Peter's getting hit by. Somehow he's okay and Peter's not. Amen. How do you sleep in a storm? By rest. It's the highest, one of the highest ways you can express your faith. Now in the last moments that I have, y'all doing okay this morning? Okay. Is this helping you? Okay, good. I want it to help you. I want it to encourage you. I don't want you to be, be beaten down by life. I really don't. I pray for you all the time, and I pray that God would strengthen you and build you up and lift you up. I don't want you to, I don't want to see people in this church beaten down by the cares of this world. I don't want to see you carrying around this heavy load, layer after layer of anxiety and pain and fear and depression and all the cares and concerns of this world. That's not what God, that's not God's best for you, and I want God's best for you. I really do. I mean that with every part of my body and my soul. I want God's best for you. So you say, how do I live in this state of rest, Pastor? I want to live like this. How do I live like it? I don't want to just visit rest every now and again. I want rest to be my pattern of life. How does that happen? Verse 29, watch what Jesus says. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. And what what will happen? You'll find rest for your soul. You'll discover rest. Isn't it funny that that you, you don't discover rest by going to look for rest? You discover rest by looking for Jesus. You take the yoke of Jesus on you and you discover rest. Isn't that amazing? It's not that you're out here working so hard to find some rest, and then what happens? You get weary, and you get heavy laden. You work so hard when the easy thing to do is to take the yoke of Jesus on you and learn from him, and then you find rest. Abigail, come on up here. I asked Abigail to help me to demonstrate this today. How you doing? Good. Here, stand behind here and see what, see what this feels like to be a pastor for a minute. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus, what, what is Jesus leading us to in this passage? He's leading us into a trade, an exchange. See, because you and I, we come to him with all this load. This is going to be... This is going to represent the load. This is the cares of life. This is the heaviness of the world. This is people's opinions of you and expectations that are wrongly put on you. This is strife that tries to get in your marriage and in your home. This is depression and anxiety that tries to fix itself on your mind. This is every bad thing that the enemy wants for you loaded down on you. Act like you're, act like you're really loaded down. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. This is my actor child. That's why I brought her up. All right, don't, don't overdo it. Okay. <laughs> You're doing good. This is the cares of life. The Bible said, Jesus says that the, the cares of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all the junk of life that tries to get on you. And Jesus says, I'm interested in a trade I'm interested in taking rid of this. Get rid of this. He says, take my yoke upon you. What what is his yoke? Y'all know what a yoke is? It's not a joke with a Hispanic accent. Some of you will get that later. It's just a yoke, okay? (laughs) What is a yoke? A yoke is this apparatus that they put on oxen, always in pairs. 
could go on a horse, it could go on a donkey or a mule, or it could go on oxen when they're plowing in a field. And it's this apparatus, you've seen one. If you go to Cracker Barrel, there's one hanging on the wall today. You can go see it. It's this wooden structure that goes over the shoulder of these two oxen, and the purpose is to keep the oxen together and to keep them going in the same straight way. And oftentimes they would take a younger oxen who didn't know as much and pair it with an oxen who had lots of experience, kind of like you, kind of like Jesus. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is his yoke? What is the yoke of Jesus? I told you that we were at Bant Film Festival on Friday night. After we had wrapped up, we were down on King Street, and Brian and I had said goodbye to Brandon and Leslie, and they went to their way, and we started walking back towards our car, and, and we were walking down King Street, and it was dark, and it was cold, so we were walking close together, and I put my arm around my wife like this. Here, let's walk together. And this is what we did. And we just walked like this, and she held my hand, and I held her hand, and she put her arm around me, and I put my arm around her, and we just walked like this back to our car, and it was wonderful. What is the yoke of Jesus? It's this. It's this right here. It's this. What is his yoke? It's his embrace. He said, take my yoke. And learn from me. In other words, take my yoke and learn my pace. Take my yoke and learn how I walk. Because if I can be honest with you, stay right there. If I can be honest with you, we walk like this. With one eye closed and one eye on Instagram. Hello? And Jesus says, you need something. You need my yoke. Because you got this weight and it's, it's bearing you down and you can't walk straight when you're loaded to the hilt with care and concern and worry and fear and anxiety. And you, you just need a little bit of rest. So he says, "Take, come unto me. Come to me. Come walk with me for a little bit. Walk with me for a while. Let me put my yoke on you. And then learn from me. Learn my pace. Learn how I walk. And what will you find in the process? Rest. Rest. You don't have to go looking for rest. You find it when you learn his pace. You don't have to go looking for peace. You discover it when you learn his yoke. You see, the yoke is not an instrument of punishment. We've taught it that way for a long time. The yoke is what Jesus puts on you so you'll get right. So you'll act right. That's not the way he wants you to understand it. It's not an instrument of punishment. It's an instrument of affection. It's an instrument of love. It's an arm around your shoulder. It's an invitation to come walk with me. Get away with me. Learn my pace. Learn how I walk. Learn how I do it. And what will you find? Rest. You will discover rest. Oh, it's so good when you learn to walk with him. Amen. It's so easy when you learn to walk with Jesus. Amen. You can sit down now. The yoke is not an instrument of punishment. It's an invitation to love. This is what Eugene Peterson Y'all know who Eugene Peterson is? He's the, the scholar who translated the Bible into the Message Bible. He was a pastor for many, many years. He just went home to be with Jesus last year. His masterful commentary called the Message Bible, when he, when he translated this verse, he used this statement. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What does rest looks like? What does rest look like? Looks like you and I getting close enough to Jesus that we get all of our care and our burdens removed 
so that nothing gets in the way of us walking together. (laughs) If there's one thing I want you to remember today, it's that you can come to him and unload the baggage and unload the garbage and unload the cares and unload the fear. There's so much fear in our world. And there's so much fear that we as believers, we tolerate it so much. And I know maybe this message feels like it's too good to be true, but the reality of grace is that it's too good not to be true because we serve a good and gracious and loving God and it's just, it's too good not to be true. This is one of the greatest, greatest promises ever made to us in the Bible. This is the fruit of our salvation is a life lived in harmony with Jesus where I get to unload my baggage And I get to take his yoke, the instrument of love, the invitation into love and intimacy so that nothing gets in the way of us walking together. Guys, this is what Adam did in the garden. Every day, the Bible says God would come to Adam in the the cool of the day. You go read about it in Genesis chapter 2. He would come looking for Adam in the cool of the day. The word there for cool of the day is actually one word in the Hebrew. It's the word ruach hakodesh, and it means the spirit of God. It means the wind or the breath of God, the spirit of God. God came to, to walk with Adam in the spirit every day. And that's, guys, that's where he heard God speak. Let me ask you a question. How hard is it to walk with the one you love? How hard is it? When Jesus comes and puts his arm around you and you walk and you start to learn his pace, how hard is that? It's the easiest thing in the world. No wonder he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because I'm in step with him. I'm walking with him. I'm learning from him. That's where I'm hearing his voice. That's where I'm hearing him tell me my identity. See, when, see when, when I'm walking with him and, I, and his yoke is upon me, that's when I'm close enough to hear a whisper. He doesn't have to bark at me about who I am. He can say, I love you. I died for you. I took the nails for you. I took the, the whip. I took the scourging for you. I took the crown of thorns for you because I love you. You didn't deserve it. But I love you anyways. Hey, here's what I want you to do about that decision you got to make. Here's what I want you to do about that promotion. Here's who I want you to go witness to and minister to. Hey, you know that cousin you got? Invite him to church. He's ready to receive. Hey, here's what I want you to do to help you be a good parent. This is what I want you to say to your kids. Here's how I want to teach you. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know so that you can have a good marriage. I'm going to teach you how to run your business. You see, when you're walking with him, it only takes a whisper. Why? Because I'm under his yoke. I'm next to him. I'm learning from him. It's the thing that's going to cause you to go through every storm and come out on the other end victorious. It's not nonsense. It's reality. Jesus means it when he says, come to me. Amen? Amen? Let's stand up to our feet this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.